I do think that Gen AI is going to be massive for no-code, low-code, and is going to have massive implications on the kind of people we hire. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today comes from our most recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium, and the topic of this panel was talent strategy in the age of artificial intelligence. The panelists who spoke about the topic were Lakshman Nathan, Chief Information Officer of Paramount, and Shubham Marish, Global Vice President of Mars. The gentleman who led that conversation was MetaStrategy Co-Head of Research, Media, and Executive Networks, Stephen Norton. I hope you enjoy but first, a quick word from our partner, Cisco, and the company's vice president and chief product officer of its incubation engine, OutShift, Poppy Menon. Poppy wanted to share how he and his team are building solutions to help organizations secure their cloud infrastructures. Poppy, over to you. Within OutShift, we have a multi-cloud defense suite. Panoptica, the product that we are talking about, it's a full cloud-native application protection platform, and it works very well with other products in the Cisco security and observability portfolio, where insights from Panoptica are fed into those products and help inform your cloud-native security. One of the biggest advantages with the Panoptica product is this ability to visualize your attack path. For any enterprise operating at non-trivial scale, your cloud infrastructure will have thousands, if not tens of thousands of vulnerabilities. This is just going to be the way things are, but that's not actionable. When you have 10,000 vulnerabilities, you don't know what to do about them. What Panoptica allows you to do is to take that and distill it down and say, of the thousands of vulnerabilities that you have out there, which of them should you pay attention to because they form part of a credible attack path that can compromise one of your critical assets? It makes it actionable and we call it prioritize with precision. So it really helps you prioritize the things that matter based on the credible threat that they pose. And now on to the interview. Uh, as we've seen and heard from a lot of the conversations today, this, this sort of new cycle of AI with generative AI, of course, being a big part of that, we've reignited the conversation on how we work. You know, what can we automate? What new tools will we need? What new skills will we need? And it seems like across these conversations, there's a consensus that it's pretty early days. But one thing that's really clear was that there's a lot of change. And for CIOs, then a lot of change management and people management that's going to come along with this. For CIOs, then we're in a position where we are with a lot of other emerging tech. We have to show our peers the art of the possible from the huge innovations all the way down to the day-to-day -day ways that your work is going to get better through technology. And the education piece just really can't be overlooked as well as that strategic thinking about how your people have to change as a whole as these new technologies come into the organization. And so I'm very fortunate to have two great leaders with me here to speak about that topic today. I'd love to introduce Lakshman Nathan. He's the EVP and Chief Information Officer of Paramount Global, a nearly $30 billion global content powerhouse. I'm sure so many of you are very familiar with some Paramount brands, Paramount Pictures, Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, Showtime, to name just a few. Uh, he's been in the role for a little bit over a year, but has been with the company since around 2009. Um, so he's seen a lot of that evolution. Lakshman, welcome. Excited for the conversation. Thank you for having me. I'd also love to introduce Shubham Marish, the Global Vice President at Mars, privately held confectionery, food, and pet care products and services company. Uh, like Laksh and Paramount, I'm sure you're very familiar with a lot of Mars's brands. I know I certainly am. Uh, M&M's and Snickers bars, also Pet Foods, Pedigree, Whiskas, many other brands. They've got more than 140,000 associates in over 80 countries and more than $47 billion in annual sales. Shubham joined Mars in 2018. He's been in this role for a little under two years. Shubham, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. 
Well, Shubham, let's start with you. We talked just a minute ago about how it's a little bit early days for this sort of new wave of AI, but I'd love to get a sense of how you're seeing the talent landscape change um, and how it's starting to evolve in the conversations that you're having at Mars. We have been on an AI journey since, I would say, in earnest, since 2016-ish. I mean, you know, thinking about us as a manufacturer, I mean, you know, typically we're not leading edge in many areas, but on AI, we did kind of start a little late, but then have caught on quite significantly over the last five odd years. And to your point, I think generative AI really brings a very different dimension to AI and hence the talent that you need. And so the way I think about this new wave of AI and the future of AI, to be very frank, at least my mental model is that the past world of AI, basically you had the creators of insights and AI tools and platforms and products that leveraged AI. And then you have the consumers of those tools and products and platforms. And now what's happening is that the creation and consumption is kind of coming together. So I, as a consumer, can go on stable diffusion now and actually create something new, leveraging foundational diffusion models, and also consume it. And so I think there's a very different paradigm shift that we need as a result on talent when you think about creation and consumption kind of colliding. And what that means is that with the future wave of maybe Gen AI-driven, no-code, low-code creation, I do think that we have to change our mindset on who we are looking for when it comes to technologists or, or AI experts or creators and consumers. And so we have really started thinking about, hey, do I need to hire as many data scientists? Do I need to hire as many data engineers? In a world where foundational models are an API away, what is my strategy? And as a result, what's my talent strategy? And so I think the, the, the whole, you know, you have got to look at this holistically between your platform strategy and your talent strategy and the kind of people that you now need to pivot to. And I, I'm a big believer that I, I do think that Gen AI is going to be massive for no-code, low-code, and is going to have massive implications on the kind of people we hire. So I'll pause here, but I'll come back to the kind of people we are looking for these days, which is quite different, actually. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that perspective and just the way in which that aperture widens in terms of who right. you might consider uh, bringing on as a data scientist or in some other role as the technology becomes that much more democratized. Right. But turning to you just a little bit, there's certainly another aspect of this as well, where a lot of the partners that you all work with on a daily basis, uh, technology partners specifically, are constantly announcing new AI-generated products and services and things that they're building into their offerings that then your company is there to use. And I'm curious how that impacts the way that you think about talent as the train is still sort of running, but all these new tools are here. How do people stay up to speed? Really good question. I mean, one of the things that even early on with Paramount, like we, for the last couple of years, we've been in, in pretty much in merger situations since we merged CBS and Viacom together. And so as part of that, beginning, and this was like three, four years ago. And so at the time we were already, you know, in the middle of rationalizing what you'd call enterprise applications and working through what kind of talent you even need for some of these applications, whether you need developers or do you need people who are more configuration experts in SaaS applications. So the landscape and skill sets were even before Gen AI, we were already in this mode of how is the talent itself changing within these environments. I guess you could call it a unique challenge or unique opportunity is that with a lot of these enterprise providers, like the obvious ones, Microsoft, ServiceNow, Salesforce, 
everyone's got different degrees of how they're introducing Gen AI into these things. And what I've at least observed in the last particularly three, four months, is that it's not necessarily you need a data science person or machine learning expert to drive some of these enterprise applications. But a lot of the folks who were kind of growing up in the last few years with using software as a service, knowing how to configure, using, as Shubham said, like low code, no code type of situations have been, I think those are the skill sets that we need to define a little bit better. And and I think they've been getting the opportunity with some of the new rollouts, particularly in Microsoft, where all of a sudden they're used to having new features turned on or having the ability to put puzzles together within the software as a service type of configuration. So what I found is like a lot of the folks who've been driving those transformations for us over the last couple of years, all of a sudden are driving the story on how is Microsoft using Copilot or how do we use Azure AI? It seems like that's one angle that I feel like from a talent perspective, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, new opportunities for folks. The other angle that I'm also seeing from a talent perspective is that from pure development, pure engineering. I mean, I think when we're we're diving into some of the more business specific use cases, like where you need to have like your own LM model or whatnot, I'm finding that the folks who, who have classic ASP or Python, any of those development backgrounds, there's been really good opportunity for them as well to start just playing in our R&D circles within our environments where they can get, like, say, an Azure AI account, and then they're able to build some of these basic use cases. Now, I think a lot of the education is about playing and actually building something towards it. But I think the big thing has been software as a service mentality, configuration mentality has an opportunity here, as well as the engineering and development part has definitely stuff that I believe will be flourished. Interesting, the, the connection between those as the barrier to that experimentation comes down, suddenly it's a new conversation around what roles are possible and who can fill those. Shubham, I actually want to go back to you because I think you were about to speak to this on the kind of people that you're looking for now and some of the qualities that you're taking into consideration as that aperture gets wider. Right. And I think back to my previous point, you know, you have to think about business strategy, where that is going and how Gen AI is impacting business you got to think about platform and how service providers are going to morph. And then you got to think as a result, how I should rethink perhaps my talent strategy. And so from my vantage point, you know, and I've done this in the past as well. So, so I follow a, a very simple kind of model and that kind of ties in with the Mars culture as well a little bit. But my model is I first look for curiosity. So how curious are you? Because the future, in the future, we will need more people that can articulate problems to be solved that can then break those down into its component parts to uh, Lakshman's point. I mean, if you look at LangChain and FlowWise, and I'm trying to bring it back to Gen AI, and we can go into any direction you want, but just to keep it within Gen AI, I mean, if you look at how those um, platforms or IDEs are developing, you are looking at a plug-and-play kind of-esque model, right? Where you're plugging in an API, you're plugging in, you know, some other component from in-house, internal, you're plugging in a database, et cetera, et cetera. And so what that means is now you're looking at more problem structuring, problem solving skills. So that's where I look for curious people. And then you can't really solve a problem without collaborating. And so I look for people that know how to work with others or we can train or coachable. So it's curiosity, collaboration. And then I think Lakshman made that point as well. Experimentation, you need to have people that are willing to try things out that are willing to see, hey, if I put this prompt, what, what happens? Let's see, right? And so you need that, and that curiosity drives some of that, but but you do need to create psychological safety to experiment and be able to fail, et cetera. So, so that's 
kind of the mental model that I have and that I have applied in the past as well, but I think it's become even more important. And we can go into how I see vendor strategy moving in this direction with Gen AI as well and its implication. But yeah, I mean, that's how I, I mentally think about hiring these days. Really like those, those three bullets, the curiosity, collaboration, and experimentation. And also to your point, creating that, that sense of safety to be able to do that right. um, and, and see what's possible. People have a lot of different definitions for what they think AI is and what it can do. And in some cases may not even know where it's already being used. Telling the story becomes more important than ever, especially as you have all these people now knocking on your door asking, what's your AI strategy? How are we going to use AI to solve problem X? Um, and, and still being able to harness that interest while also being realistic about how you're going to prioritize things and how are things going to be governed. And so Laksh, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your approach to educating your teams as well as your peers on these new tools and topics and what's really possible. You know, what's really funny is that I'm actually using this as a re-education process for the existing tools that you may call automation across the board. So, you know, what I find is things like robotic process automation, for instance, is still a very powerful tool. Like, uh, and I think it's some some companies have definitely have grown it. I know we have been using it for uh, for many years now, but that's one area where I'm like, as soon as someone starts asking for like an, a generative AI solution, I'm like, oh, that feels like a really nice RPA program. Why don't I send my RPA COE over to you and give you a little breakdown in education? So definitely in tools like RPA, I found Salesforce. We've done a lot of low code, no code type of work in Salesforce as well too. Um, and that's been just really good about like just talking about how do we do, you know, those sort of process automations and things that that would simplify it. I think the the true education actually from an AI perspective is uh, what I'm I'm dealing with more is that I have definitely different business partners working with, you know, a variety of smaller companies that might be doing what they call AI. So what we did was from an education perspective, both as a company as well as an education perspective, is that we set up a um, basically a central site where everyone kind of understands, I won't say the AI policies, but the AI process. So if you have a new tool, we're kind of opening the door, say, if you are talking to somebody with AI capabilities, go ahead and tell us, tell us why you're using it, what are you doing, and then work with your, your VP or head of departments to make sure that everyone's on the same page. But then as they fit those, they kind of go to the site and they say, we're looking at vendor A. What we do across a joint effort between our security team, privacy team, technology teams, and since we're a media company, we've got several other production type of tech groups that are out there. We actually look at what these kind of requests and why they're doing it. And we go back to the teams and actually say, hey, either can we partner up with you guys to evaluate that will help fast track it if it feels like a good use case? Or if it's something that we've already got in-house, like say I've gotten at least five different third-party products that come in that pretty much Microsoft could do if you just use Copilot, for instance. So that builds the case for why you should invest in something in Copilot. So I feel like this has been a pretty good educational process on just even not feeling like heavy-handed with AI and making it feel like it's a bureaucratic thing, but it's actually helping them expedite what are good ROI or use cases around these things. I actually, the one thing I wanted to jump on also from an education Chubam had hit on is that 
I think from a security perspective with my CISO and the team within that group, their world has become a lot tougher because the whole landscape and engagement of how these LM models are either storing your data or not storing your data. I would say that was actually the tougher education to make sure everyone understood, like, you shouldn't just go to OpenAI and get ChatGBT. But then really, when you start slicing your choices that you have within a company to use, getting alignment and partnership with your security infosec teams has been like probably like the critical path for us in order to make progress in, in it. And I actually think they, they've got the tougher job in some cases that they got to look at all these things and make sure that they're not, you know, putting it out to Skynet and saying, this is the information that's going to the world. So. <laughs> Absolutely. It really reinforces what you both talked about during this session, just that need for more collaboration and, and a lot more transparency and openness to talk about this stuff as, as we all learn a lot of things or relearn things for the first time. Shubham, related to that, curious, have there been any any things that have worked from an education perspective or any approaches that you're taking that have, have shown some benefit at Mars? Education is is hard because what we are trying to do, I mean, what we have been trying to do in the past is, you know, the wave of MOOCs came and Udacity, Coursera, et cetera, and we rolled them out, et cetera, et cetera, and hoped that people would leverage the content therein. In the beginning, there was there was a lot of interest and then it kind of peters out. And so, you know, I have been quite uh, frustrated with the with you know corporate education in general, not just at my company. And so what we did recently is we just completely rewrote the playbook because we had to. I mean, you know, if you want to create a more digitally savvy work, workforce, just throwing tools at them just didn't work, right? And so we had to completely rewrite the playbook. We have to talk about education at every level of the organization. So I can't just do top down and be happy about it. I can't just do bottom up and offer everybody a license and be happy about it. And so we have to kind of solve for both top down and bottom up. So what we have done is I have curated a, a very separate experience for our senior leadership. So let's call it out of the 140 plus thousand associates, let's say the top thousand people get a very different experience because they don't need to go down to the expertise level. They need to be at the awareness level. And so as an example, I personally do Gen AI training where I just use a paper and a pencil because the whole idea is, can I explain to you intuitively how Gen AI works and why it works? And I don't need a machine for that. I mean, it's counterintuitive, but it's, it's fun to do. And so how do you not go towards linear algebra, but still talk about that with a paper and pen? That's for the senior execs. And then obviously, as you go down the expertise chain, obviously you do expect people to have the right training capabilities with them. But then having said that, you know, if you look at your 10X programmer or your 10X data scientist, they actually don't need tools. They will go and find the solution on, it used to be Stack Overflow, now maybe it's Stack GPT, mm -hmm. but you know, they'll find the solution. And so they are, they are learning machines. And so how do you go from machine learning to learning machines? That's the, <laughs> that's the idea behind education. And so we are rewriting the playbook in a nutshell. That's the idea. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that paper and pen demonstration. Someday. Oh yeah, happy to, happy to anytime. A lot to learn. Pivoting just slightly, Laksh, one of the things that you and I discussed before was sort of the financial piece around all of this. And it's really thinking about the financial modeling for the consumption a lot of a lot of these new solutions making the decisions over is this on-prem or off-prem, the hidden or not so hidden costs that may come up as we start experimenting with this technology a whole lot more. And it's interesting from a talent perspective because it, that then influences how we engage with it and how we use these tools and how it ultimately scales up in the organization. 
So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how you are approaching the, the kind of cost modeling side of things and any lessons that you've learned throughout that process so far. This has always been like the probably the hardest conversation I'm having with all of my stakeholders. I think I, I, I have to remind everyone every day that if we built, if we use our own LM model of, of or any sort of built-in stuff, it's going to charge by token. You know, it's like it's it's and they all give me the look of what really? I'm like, yes. But what's what's been actually kind of interesting is going through I'll, I'll break it down into two different models. One is like the more we had a mandate at the company of like, how can we give a chat GBT experience, but not charge, you know, an arm and leg for every token call. So we kind of went with a somewhat of an easy answer and said, look, we have our, our Microsoft agreement allows for a Bing chat enterprise. It's already part of our licensing. It offers chat GBT four, and it actually does a nice UI that allows you for re references and things like that. So we sort of went with a Start with that as we offered a solution to everyone before they start going crazy and building a whole bunch of LLM models. We said, we're offering to the company and we did security, privacy. We did all the right things we were supposed to do before rolling this out. It was one of the first solutions we said is AI approved from a company standpoint. So that actually sort of helped, let's call it the 90% of the people who want to use ChatGBT helped with that model. Okay. So then the last 10% are the ones who are trying to build out point solutions and whatnot across different uh, knowledge shares and things like that. We had met with every SI partner, system implementation partner and, and whatnot, and just kind of got a good sense of like, what are the different options that people have done? And I'm sure everyone on this call has gone through and heard the different level of choices about building versus uh, using a service. I mean, one of the key things what we, we set up was some mandates about how we would do our in-house built solution. So what we did was if we have rules of, of like who the audience is, if we know that it's only like a small group of people who are making calls, we put some framework around it so that they have some time to do R&D and we're not going to like ding them for every time they make a call. For some of the solutions that we're thinking about for the, like say a larger audience, we're putting in prompt engineering solutions where, you know, we would only allow them to have like three three or four questions per day or something like that. We're going by solution by solution, looking at the large audience and then say to ourselves, how can we like kind of manage it ahead of preventing us from going out and turning this on onto like a whole employee search or something like that and, and causing like a huge bill to go up. I'm kind of in the wait and see with all of the different LM models that come out over the next six months because Microsoft had an advantage, but I think it's gonna be interesting to see how when Meta is getting it more commercialized and all that, you're going to see the cost of these things go down as there's more competition. So, yeah. Thank you for walking us through that framework. It's really interesting to hear how you've separated it out by the use case and sort of built those guardrails that's still going to allow that experimentation while controlling the cost. With the last couple of minutes that we have, would love to, to get both of your perspectives on what's next. As you think about the work that your organizations have done so far and, and looking ahead to the next year, couple of years, Shubham, let's start with you. What do you see as some of the biggest opportunities or potentially challenges uh, from this wave of AI, um, particularly from a people perspective? I do want to kind of start with maybe challenges and then opportunities in that order. So sure. I think there are two kinds of challenges. One is how do you control for the hype if you can control for it? But there's a, there's a lot of hype in the space where people, as you would expect, think that this thing is magic can do a bunch of stuff that it actually can't. And so this, this is a very fast evolving space. So the first piece is how do you talk to the hype? Right. And so that's the first piece. And then on the compliance piece, you know, I think responsible AI ethics and understanding of how this data is sourced, 
what are the inherent biases in foundational models because they are scraped off the internet and so it reflects humanity's written word and so on and so forth. And so that education and hence compliance is, is really how we, we kind of, as a foundational piece we're doing. And then in terms of opportunities, I mean, we every day we unearth new opportunities, right? So when I think about on the written side, I mean, there's, there's obviously the, the retrieval augmented generation that I think Lachman pointed to with, I think, Bing Chat Enterprise. You know, the, the whole RAG space is a massive space for semantic search, for example, right? And, and summarization, and you've seen the use cases there. So written on written language as a UI, there's a lot of use cases that are emerging. And then on the on the image side, in that modality, I mean, we see, you know, for us, it's product design, prototyping, you know, it's it's uh, marketing, ad content generation. And obviously, our, our service providers, like, you know, the, the ad agencies are also coming to us with an upgraded suite of solutions there. So personalization, dynamic content creation, those are use cases on the image side. On audio, in our case, because we run wet hospitals, we are really looking at audio as a modality to uh, not have the vet spend time with the patient or the pet parent typing stuff on the EHR you know, system or the practice management system. And so instead use audio to text. And that's where you use models like Gen AI models to do that. On every modality, there are a bunch of use cases. So, so I think this is a fast evolving space. We are looking at it very closely. We are looking at the financial pieces also. We, have, we don't have time for that, but that's how we are kind of thinking about it. Fascinating. Yeah, thank you for that overview and excited to see how that evolves uh, in the future. Laksh, I'll turn it over to you. What are you looking at as the year goes by? I think uh, one is the partner, the enterprise partners. I am really, really interested in everyone's, like this is the year where, you know, you talk about Dreamforce, you talk about like all the Microsoft events. This is kind of like a, a little bit of an arms race is like everyone's got to move very, very, very fast on this. And, and I think they're all capable of it. And I, what's going to be really exciting to see is how fast they turn around. Like in Salesforce, for instance, I, I can't wait for like them to use, you know, some sort of uh, their chat GPT for Slack. That alone would be like, you know, with the number of channels that, that could exist in, in, I'm sure, anyone's tenants. But, but I think the speed in which some of our partners are coming at and the willingness for a lot of them to come and experiment with use cases that we've got. So instead of me going out and building all these solutions, I am really excited about getting all the different use cases among my my own uh, industry and being able to go to even in AWS or Google and just be able to say, hey, can we partner up on these use cases? Can we try to make these as creative type of solutions? And everyone seems very hungry. And I think there's going to be you're, what you're going to see in the next year is this explosion of creativity and interesting solutions that's going to move very fast. And then I think the economics of it, because of all these folks are coming, moving very fast, I think that will normalize the fear of the economics and the predictability of the cost. I think they're all going with the same approach right now. But once once they start seeing that each other's you know, offering the same things in terms of token calls and whatnot, I, I have a feeling that that's going to hopefully be more predictable. Because I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of these consumption model type of approaches, because that just brings such overhead to what you're trying to do within these groups. But um. But the third thing I would say also is that I think our business users are technologists now. They all, they're all used to using technology. They're expecting speed and quickness. And I think like five years ago, the, the bigger question would have been like the UI of your collaboration tools and all that. And I think it, the technology is caught up pretty fast. So like you're using Zoom, you're using these Microsoft Slack, all these Salesforce solutions are really modern looking. And I think 
what we're also going to see from an education perspective is that a lot of our business users are going to be much more, they're already technology savvy. And I think what we're going to see is like a hybrid approach evolve a bit more and how they're going to be doing plug and play. They're going to, as Shubhav said earlier, low code, no code is going to be, it's always a popular thing in the last few years. I really do believe that that Gen AI is going to even help make it more people wanting to want to do that type of education and learning. So. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for bringing us back full circle to that convergence of the consumer and the creator. There's going to be a lot of interesting changes happening inside enterprises uh, in the near future. So thank you both for taking the time today. Really appreciated this conversation. Laksh, Shubham, hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks again. Very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoyed it.